0: I just didn't understand why connecting the best freelancers to great companies couldn't be frictionless.
1: That's Shib Matthew, founder of the elite freelancer platform, Unojuno. You know Juno. They've built a reputation of disrupting traditional recruitment and bridging the gap between hirer and freelancer.
0: Since day one, our goal at Unojuno you know Juno has been to address every frustration we had as either freelancers or hirers. From direct and transparent communication, to taking the stress out of getting paid on time, to being properly recognised for great work.
1: Today, You know, Juno is now the world's largest marketplace of premium creative and tech talent.
0: Last year we reached half a billion pounds in freelancer bookings, and we still feel like we're just beginning.
1: If you would like to know more about You know, Juno, their views on the future of work being freelance and what they can do for you, head on over to unojuno.com. Hi there, we're well into season five of Where Did It All Go Right, where we talk to creatives about the pivotal moments in their careers. I'm Ali Jones, and whether you're listening on a journey, on a run, or just relaxing on the sofa, it's good to have you with us. Now, this week's guest is the writer Kit Duvall. My name is Leon, was Kit's first novel and shortlisted for the Costa Book Award. And it's just been on BBC Two. But don't worry if you missed it, as it's on the iPlayer now. Kit also set up her own creative writing fellowship. And we got to talk about that and her beautiful chairs I had chair envy with. Oh, yes. And how she got to do the job she loves. Oh, and just to warn you, there might be a few swears in here. It's so lovely to finally meet you. And I feel like I know you quite well on on social media and you're always tweeting good stuff on social media. Happy stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I do try to actually because there's so, so, so much negative stuff on there. And I understand why the negative stuff's on there. You know, it's good that there are people alerting us to the things going on in the world but my God, it's depressing yeah. sometimes. And I do try and just inject a little bit of humour from time to time. I'll just be crushed under the weight of the world.
1: <laughs> and, and talking about feeling happy, I mean, when you see your books in a bookshop, that must still give you a thrill.
0: Oh, it does. Absolutely. There's, there's no way. I, I defy anyone to feel casual about seeing their book in a bookshop I am one of those people that will put it at the front of the queue uh, (laughs) and turn it round and make sure people can see even now I love it I you know I can remember when I first got published well before sorry before I got published my goal was to be on the three for two table. Now I know that that's not the best table to be on. Obviously you wanna be on a table all on your own. But for me, it was, I don't know what it was about the three for two table. I wanted to be on there. I just really wanted to be on it. And I have been on it a few times and it's just incredibly great to see your book there along with the people that you admire. I mean, that's what most of it's about. You see yourself next to Maggie O'Farrell or next to John Carey or whoever else is on the table, and you just think, "Oh my God, you know, I've made it. It's great."
1: Uh, or you could just buy three of your books and get them for two.
0: Exactly, and yeah. that's that's the best thing to do. Buy three of mine; you don't have to have the <laughs> other two at all. Forget John McCarey, forget Maggie Farrell, <laughs> and buy three of mine and give them to people. Yeah, oh. it's a better idea.
1: And and for you, I mean, you work for a long time with not being an author yes. but was it something that was always at the back of your mind did you go into bookshops and and think I really want to do this and were you quite frustrated because I know you worked in law and you're a magistrate was that just the writing was just waiting to get out
0: absolutely not um I never wanted to write I never thought about writing until I was in my mid 40s maybe 43 never occurred to me that that was a, an option for me That I had the talent, I most definitely didn't have the talent when I first started writing. It it never crossed my mind. I was, you know, I wouldn't say I was happy being, you know, working in law and working as a magistrate. They were very interesting jobs, but certainly weren't my passion. When I started writing in my mid 40s, I had read by that time hundreds of books. I mean, it's not an exaggeration. And I thought I'd be really good. You know, I just thought, well, I've read all these books. Um, I'll have a go at writing a short story or a novel, and I'll be good because, you know, how hard can it be? <laughs> and the answer is bloody hard. <laughs> and much harder than I realised. And I was absolutely shit. But, but by then, by the time i tried for a few years, I did realise that that's what I wanted to do. And then once it bit... And I think anything that bites you in later life bites much harder because you're very aware of diminishing time. Mm-hmm. You are very aware of, uh, you sort of know yourself so well. So you know that if something's bit you and you've got a bug in your 40s, you know yourself and you think, oh, my God, you know, this is, this is serious. So it, it's quite an obsession when it strikes. It certainly was for me.
1: But what I can't understand, you said though that you'd never crossed your mind to write, and yeah. but so how? So what? What started it off with you going right? Okay, I am going to write something. What was the trigger? Um,
0: I had uh, so so I, I left school at sixteen, and I'd worked all, all that time till my mid forties. You know, I, I just worked and never went to college. Well, I went to college, but never went to university or anything. So um, I and I, I became a reader in my twenties when I was in my uh, When I was 41, uh, I adopted a little boy who was very ill. So for the first time in my early 40s, I had to stop work to look after him. And I was at home with him or in hospital with him a lot. And I had time and I had plumped the cushions. I had redecorated. I'd done all the the stuff that you do when you're bored stiff, as far as I'm concerned, over grooming the house. And I was like, oh, what else should I do? Oh, I'll write a book. Um, so it wasn't a big thought like, oh, my God, I'm going to do this big thing. It was sort of just having a go. I could have done flower arranging. I could have done uh, learn French. In fact, I did learn French and I did stained glass making, actually. Oh, So hello. I tried a couple of things. Wow. Um, Not quite lucrative. <laughs> Not quite as looking, tiny bit niche, and I was even more shit at that. Um, So when I had to go at writing, I didn't expect it to turn into an obsession. It was was a thing I thought I'd try and have a go at. Mm. It certainly wasn't, oh, I'm gonna do this, it's gonna be my passion, I'm gonna make money out of it. And like I say, then once I started, I was like, oh dear, oh dear, I'm addicted. (laughs) <laughs> I
1: really want. Oh, that's so lovely, though, finding a passion and, and yeah. just running with it. But you've also got to have quite a lot of confidence, haven't you, to think, Yes. you know, you're in Chapter 2 and you're thinking, oh, God, this isn't going very well. So what yeah. was sort of – did you get that from how you grew up? Did you have an inbuilt confidence or was that from, from your kids going, go on, Mum, you can do this?
0: Oh, my kids would never say, go on, Mum, you can do this. I mean, they're, they're just <laughs> – I'm so boring to them. I can't, cannot tell you. They're not interested in what I do. They love me completely, but they just do think I'm sort of an old bag. Um, so when I started, and I think anyone that starts to write, you have the, um, the confidence of naivety. You have the confidence of not knowing how bad and how hard it can be. Uh, So when I started writing and I was on chapter two and then chapter nine and chapter 10 of this appalling novel, I was just thinking, yeah, this is this is great. You know, this is good. It's only when you read it back with a cold eye and you think this is absolutely terrible. (laughs) And I, I was a great reader. So I did know what it was to read something good. And I knew that this was not it. All of my confidence to begin with came from. Uh, ignorance and naivety and then once I started to write I did not have confidence I I was writing thinking this is appalling this is rubbish this is rubbish and it was and then you were sort of aware you get a bit better and you work hard on the craft really really hard on the craft and you get a bit better and a a bit better And and you slowly get a little bit of confidence, but I think with that as well, unless you are a twat, mm-hmm. sorry, that's a really bad word, but unless you're an idiot, you do also become aware of, of the levels of greatness. So I've got my heroes, obviously, and my heroines are people that I think they are the best writers, and you start to try and measure up to them, or even do one sentence that might be worthy of Donal Ryan or Sebastian Barry or Maggie O'Farrell. So you you try and you aim to, to be better every day.
1: And they say, write about what you know, and particularly with My Name Is Leon, you know, your mum, foster care, wasn't she? You know, you, you did, you wrote about what you knew. I guess also you said that your kids were getting a bit older as well. So you had the time to hone your craft.
0: Yes. I mean, the first two books I wrote, possibly the reason they were so rubbish, is they (laughs) were crime thrillers. I mean, I did know a lot about crime. I really did, having worked in criminal law for many years. Uh, But they just weren't good. And I wrote My Name is Leon out of desperation because I thought I was a crime thriller writer. And when I wrote My Name is Leon, it... It started life as the backstory to one of the criminals in my crime novels. Leon was a 43 year old man. And my name is Leon. Uh, the, the short story that I wrote before it turned into a novel was the backstory of one of the people in my crime novels. So, it, you know, it, it only now does it look like I had a plan. <laughs> I had no plan. I had no write what you know plan. I had no, um, oh, I've tried that and it hasn't worked. I think I'll try this and it'll work. That is is just, you know, that's just looking back. Mm -hmm. At the time, I'm scratching around. I'm trying to think, is this the right thing to do? Should I do that? I'll just have a go at this. There was no great plan. And as for write what you know, I'd never heard of that. I'd never heard of Write What You Know. It was much, much later I heard about Write What You Know. So I was just, oh, I'm rubbish at that. I'm rubbish at that. I can't do that. That hasn't worked. I think I'll have a go at that. Love and it, it just so happens to work. Naivety. Just
1: brilliant. But yeah. You, and I know that you said growing up in Moseley, you didn't do much. Well, you you read at school, but not, not a huge amount. And were the teachers? Yes. And did your parents inspire you? Did, did they read when you were at home? No, no, no. no
0: no no my sister rang my sister read sorry my mother read the bible she was jehovah's witness my father read the news of the world great piece of fantasy fiction there and nobody read in our house i hated reading at school it was just torture i loved the stories so i can remember reading great expectations and you know in those days you went round the classroom Every child read four pages, next child, next child, next child. Well, you can imagine the slowness, oh. the lack of interest of uh, some of the kids. Um, it was just desperate. Yeah. And I just thought, if this is reading, no thank you. And I would never read the book at home, ever. So the only books I read were the ones that were, you know told we had to read it's called Mill on the Bloody Floss oh yeah what a boring <laughs> piece of dumb that was. I can remember being so turned off reading so you had the bible rubbish hmm. you had the news hmm. of the world rubbish in fact that was probably the most exciting thing because there's little racy bits in there <laughs> and then you had Dickens and the Mill on the Floss and, and that sort of thing and I was just like no that's not for me and I didn't start reading till I was in my 20s
1: but I love uh, the yeah. fact that you did because you could have been put off for life. And thank you for writing a book with short chapters because for me, who gets constantly interrupted, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I think I think I might just get these next couple of pages in. Yes. Um, uh, oh, look, there's another chapter, I can do this. Whereas if you see a chapter which is like pages yeah. and pages, you're just like, I can't do that, I haven't got time. But I love short chapters in a book.
0: Yeah, no, and, and again, it might look like I had a plan. I had no plan. That was the length of the chapter. Stop it there. <laughs> um, you know, I. I I really never had a plan and I still don't have a a plan about things like that I'm a lot more um, accomplished technically now and a lot more aware of structure and things like that and I don't myself like long novels I I think most novels can be said in 70,000 words or less Mm -hmm. some of the best novels some of the Booker Prize winning novels have been Very Short Sense of an Ending by Julian Barnes, I think is 47,000 words, uh, uh, Remains of the Day, short novel. Lots and lots of short novels are absolute works of genius. Uh, Not to say long novels aren't, but you can say an entire world in 60,000 words, I think.
1: So you're scrabbling around, you're writing these books that you think they're they're not great and then but then you you turn it around and and you write these brilliant books and you get an agent and how how did that come about and did you think by then wow this is actually something that's better than doing uh flower arranging
0: so by the time i uh, had written my two failure novels and and they're not failure novels i learned a lot from writing them but by the time i'd written them I knew that I would be writing for the rest of my life. I mean, whether I'd got published or not, I can tell you now, I would be writing novels, short stories. I would be writing because it's absolutely everything to me. Um, so I uh, got an agent on the strength of my first novel, uh, but she couldn't sell that. My second novel, she couldn't. She was not interested in. And she then went on maternity leave and I got a new agent with Joe Unwin. And my name is Leon. And when she took it, uh, she sent it out very soon after reading it. She sent it out to publishers. And by the way, I sound like I knew what I I was talking about. When she said I'm sending it out, I didn't actually know what she was talking about. (laughs) I just thought sending it out. Okay, (laughs) what does that mean? But anyway, she sent it out and... So many people were interested in it that it went to auction, and again, I didn't know what that meant. So she said, "Oh, this will—the book will go to auction."
1: And it sounds like X Factor. It sounds like the judges sort of say, "Choose me."
0: I mean, because I don't know what it means exactly. It means that assume that she sent the book out to say ten publishers. Mm. You know, are you interested in this book? And six come back and go, "We're really interested." And they start to make bids for the book, like we will give you £5,000, we will give you £10,000. And that means that people are bidding against each other. And then there is a period of time where everyone has uh, the opportunity to come with their best offer. And it's about a week. And during that week, as a writer, you go round and you meet all these different publishers. And they say, oh, come to us, we'll do this. Come to us, we'll do that. Now, that's the contrast between the publishers not even ringing you back to say we don't want it. So <laughs> just during crazy. this week of me going round to all these publishers and them telling me how great I was, and, oh, I love this book, it's great, come to us, we'll publish it. I was like, what is going on? Yeah, I couldn't get any interest. Now I've got people begging me, to go to them, and I was just amazed. And I can remember on the sort of last day of the of the author visit, so at the publisher visit, so I've seen six at this point, and I remember saying to my agent, what is going on? Because I thought, has there been something in the news about adopted children? Have, you know, why are people interested mm. in this little book about this little boy that I think is good, but I didn't know if it was good, and she just said it's re- it's a really good book, and I was like, yeah, something else is going on here. But you're I just right. Didn't believe it.
1: But you're right because if you've had other rejections in the past, because I know you've said in the past, it's great. You you need to be sad about that, and um, yes, but you also need yes. to plow. You need to plow on as well. Yes, and I, I guess that affects you. So then, when people are saying we love this book, you're like, you are yeah. a laugh.
0: Am I dreaming? Yeah. Absolutely. You don't believe it, and you think there's a catch, and you think there's all sorts of reasons they might be saying this I mean it wasn't you know they people did really want the book and I I decided to go with Penguin which was you know that was a dream come true absolutely Mm -hmm. when you start reading when, when I was in my 20s I started reading Penguin classics and here I was I wasn't going to be a Penguin classic but I was going to be published by Penguin and it was incredibly fabulous and exciting for me yeah
1: But I think a lot of people, though, when that happens, they start thinking, right, I'm going to go on a holiday. I'm going to redecorate my house. But you didn't. You set up this creative writing fellowship, which, you know, that's amazing. And why for you was it so important to give
0: something back? The background I was brought up in, university was never, ever an option that was discussed. The only time we spoke about university would be University Challenge on television. That was the only time you'd even say that. And then all the kids on University Challenge were posh. And we lived in Moseley, which was populated by students, mostly posh. So it wasn't for us. We weren't posh. You didn't go to university. When I got my my deal from Penguin and I, I wanted to help other people who thought it wasn't for them go to university and think that they would have a chance. In fact, I wanted to call the scholarship the Fat Chance Scholarship. Because I can remember saying to people, look, why don't you go to university, do a creative writing degree? And they'd say, fat chance. I can't can't afford it. You know, just like, no, it's not for me. And so by putting the the scholarship together with, with travel and with subsistence, as well as the fees, I just really wanted to see someone. Now, it was never a dream for me to go to university. It was not my dream. But I know from my friends and my family that for some people that is a dream. And I just wanted to give people an opportunity to go and to realise their dream and for it to be someone for whom that was completely out of the question. They'd never be able to afford it. So it was, you know, I consider it an absolute privilege to have done that. And so satisfying when you start to see yeah. the results as well. Fantastic
1: really just great it's in its fifth year now yeah and and what about your you say your kids don't really care about what you do but surely <laughs> when you come you come back and you said to your son you know I you've inspired me and I, I've done this and yeah, no, no, no no nothing no. at all
0: So no, this is my these are my kids so I was on <laughs> Twitter one day and I saw that somebody had said oh my god I've read my name is Leon and it's one of the best books I've ever read and I looked at it and it had so many likes and so I was thinking who is this guy Russell Kane I've I've never heard of him so I said to my daughter Beth she's 24 at the time I said Beth have you ever heard of Russell Kane she was next to me in about two minutes and it was the most status I've ever had with my kids. Oh my God, Russell Kane. Oh my God, Mom, Russell Kane likes you. And that was that was it for me. I I, I was elevated into a different level.
1: For about um, five minutes. And then it was what's for two. Yeah. It was
0: Russell Kane. And also if I meet famous people that they like, then they sort of go, Oh my god, Mom, that's really good. You know, but um they're not readers, my kids. they They're really proud of me and really proud of what I've done, but they don't, they're not literary. They're not in the literary world. They're not readers. They just know that I have done something that's really important to me. Mm -hmm. So they value it for that, Uh, but it's not their world.
1: But also when something's really important to you, I I don't know about you, but as a mum, if work is going well and you feel like you're, you know, you're doing something for you, you're less grumpy as a mum. Yeah. I think I will cook the tea tonight because something's gone well at work today. Whereas if things are frustrating and things aren't going well, then you know they'll get my wrath.
0: Completely, completely, and and just you know, it's one of the the reasons that we all need to have a passion. And it doesn't that passion might be flower arranging, it might be making stained glass, it might be whatever it is, something that m- makes us feel connected to the universe and more importantly connected to ourselves so that you you have that self-realization that self-actualization that says this is for me this is not mom doing it this is not partner doing it this is me doing what i do that makes me feel plugged in and alive and firing on all all cylinders And, and that's really really important for people which is one of the reasons I I really rail against the publishing industry that values literary fiction above romantic fiction say above crime science fiction fantasy fiction because this is somebody who wants to write that stuff that that gets as much pleasure and value from writing it and the readers from reading it and there's still a lot of snootiness about that kind of literature in fact no one would call it literature it's just writing you know it's not it doesn't get the status of being literature and and yet for some people that's when they feel alive or that's when they disappear into this other world and they just have this brief holiday from the ravages and savagery of the world and they think right I've just disappeared for a while I'm writing this stuff and it's what I love and I just think that's uh, really, really important for whatever it is that, that turns you on and makes you feel alive.
1: I think you're absolutely right. And, and, and you talk about, we've talked about changing other people's lives with your with your fellowship and inclusivity in the industry. Do you think we're getting there? It's getting more inclusive?
0: I do. I, I really do think it's getting more inclusive. There are more attempts by publishers to open uh, branches outside of London not great, you know. There's so much more to do, but there are movements towards that. There is a greater understanding of the barriers that face Black writers, that face writers from working-class backgrounds, LGBTQIA writers, anyone that um, is beyond the mainstream, easy to publish, recognisable form format, recognisable structures. There's, there's Better understanding, whether that translates into books in Waterstones, I don't know, Uh, and I think there's a long way to go, but I think conversations are easier to have now, they're easier to start, and I think some of the ground has been softened, perhaps not to the degree where we're going to get a beautiful, luxurious plant, but the ground has been softened so that if we all collectively keep plugging away, we're going to get meaningful results, I think.
1: And, and with my name is Leon, how we talked about how it all came good for you, but also you got shortlisted and you won awards for it. Do you think that awards are important and do you think that's a really good way of getting uh, people, different voices heard?
0: Yeah, I really do think awards are very important and I know they're very exclusive because not everyone can win. And that can be very, very difficult for people to, to not succeed. You know, you, sometimes you spend £10 entering a competition mm. and you don't get anywhere. And that's, that's very, very hard. And for a lot of people on a low income, that can be difficult. So competitions are exclusive. However, they do make you concentrate on your work. They make you look again at your work. They make you hone your skills. They do give you a bit of a calling card. If you're going to an agent or a publisher, you can say, Look, I've written this book, but I had a, sh- a short story shortlisted in this competition. And that just gives the agent or the publisher a little bit of confidence that you've had someone look critically at your work and, and place you in a competition. So I think they're very important. And we are seeing more and more prizes uh, that record that, you know, are particularly for marginalized groups, like the Polari Prize for uh, LGBTQI writers um, you have the Jalak prize which is for black writers you have prizes for a lot of prizes for younger writers not quite so many for people who come to writing later but there are prizes a lot of prizes out there and I think generally speaking I approve of them
1: and, and I know that you're a real big fan of listening books as well, audiobooks. Um, Massive
0: fan of listening books and books.
1: My daughter doesn't like, well, neither of them like reading much, but I think her teacher said, get her to listen to books because, you know, you still will then get the stories and the inspiration. And with my, my father uh, can't really see anymore, so he just spends loads of time listening to them. But it's, it's, it's huge, isn't it? It's a really great way of getting people into books that might not...
0: It's really important and, you know, again, there's such a lot of snobbery around audiobooks. Oh, you're not really reading it. Well, you know, piss off, you are reading it. (laughs) And when you're a writer, you write a book and you really don't care if people read it or listen to it, because what you're doing is storytelling. You're telling a story. Originally, when people told stories, they were oral. It was sitting around a fire. It was jokes told from one person to another. It was family stories and myths passed down. They are stories. And as a writer, you're a storyteller. Whether someone listens to with their eyes closed at night or whether they sit on a beach on a lilo and listen to it or or read it and leave it for the next person, whatever. You just want someone to know the story that you're telling. I've, I've listened to hundreds of audiobooks. I've always got at least two audiobooks on the go. Uh, Some are better than others. Uh, Some some of the narrators are better than others. But I am so passionate about audiobooks, not just for people that want to listen to them like me. And, you know, I'm, I'm a voracious reader and I'm a good reader. But for people who feel intimidated by the written word, who perhaps left school early, haven't got the best reading skills, for people who can't hold a book because maybe they're you know have a disability or they have failing eyesight like your father for people whose comprehension isn't yeah. great so you need someone to put some meaning onto some of the sentences and a great example of that is finnegans wake by james joyce which is notoriously one of the hardest books to read and i got the audio i did try and read it oh my god it's hard um but i got the audiobook with an actor reading it and actually it's brilliant and you can get the sense because someone's giving you the sense of it so audiobooks are just a really really important part of the publishing industry an important part of people learning stories yeah
1: yeah i think what you said you hit the nail on the head when you talked i've got an image of someone listening to one of your audiobooks on the beach you talked about people listening on the beach have you ever been anywhere where someone's reading your book or they're listening to your book And if so, have
0: you? I saw someone reading it on on the tube. My name is Leon on on the tube. And I I didn't have the nerve to say anything, (laughs) but it was a moment, a great, great, great moment. And I have seen someone take, been in, in a bookshop where the person in front of me had the book. Uh, amongst other books from the three for two table no doubt taking it obviously
1: I mean is there a picture of you I'm just looking at my copy here yes you should have said oh look at the back look doesn't that person look familiar
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah no didn't have the nerve
1: (laughs) so what's next for you because I know you like writing in the dark that's right isn't it yes
0: yeah I like writing at night my memoir is out on August the 16th it's the, the story of my childhood it's called Without Warning and Only Sometimes and I have three quarters of the way through my next novel how's it going uh, has a, has a quite, great I mean really I love it I love it I love it I feel really warm inside it's like like being in love honestly
1: oh you've given uh, me a shiver with the way you just did that well, I mean everyone listening can't see you but you just you know that's you, you look yeah. like you're
0: so happy about it I am really happy about it I love it it's all I want to do I mean you know you do lots of other things to remain being a writer and um, you know you you engage with the literary world you engage with readers I, I teach a bit but actually writing is it for me mm. you know it's, it's everything to me so when i can engage it when i've got a book on the go and i'm working out where what's going to happen it's it is heaven and it really is like being in love it's great
1: oh uh, can you tell us anything about what it's about or is it all top secret
0: it's about four people and how their lives intersect on one day Ooh, that's a good sell wow yeah,
1: cool and, and if we were to look back at the, the you know we've talked about how it all began for you and, and the pivotal moments i mean it was something that happened later for you in life really um yes. but the, the, it was just having a passion but what for you would be the big pivotal moments that got you to do what you're what you're loving
0: one of the pivotal moments was being getting an honorary mention in a small competition and i've been writing for a long time then and i uh so so an honorary mention is what happens under the long list so there's first second and third Mm -hmm. then there's a short list that's about 10 people then there's a long list that's about 30 and then under the long list you didn't quite get on the long list but you've got an honorary mention and i got an honorary mention for a very small piece of work i cannot tell you the joy it it's as as important as any of the bigger competitions i've uh, entered because someone outside of my family someone that was not my friend said that's quite good yeah and that's yeah. the first time it had happened and I'd say that when I thought oh I can do it I can do this I can do better I can do more and it just kept me going so I'd say that was a massive pivotal moment for me
1: and, and also the naivety in a way, though, that sort of the innocence yeah. of writing helped you along and just and just plowing on and, and getting rejected, though. you, As you say, you have to sort of plow on and then getting that X Factor style going around to all these yes. different
0: publishers. That, that was that was yes. huge for you. It was huge. And, you know, I don't really underestimate how, you know, there's a lot of luck in publishing. Of course, you've got to be a good writer, you've got to have a good story and all the rest of it but there's a lot of luck in it. I found a great agent. She sent it to the right publishers. She was not busy when I sent it to her. So she read it straight away. You know, there's all sorts of things that have to click into place to get that success. And I'm really mindful that for me, that happened later in life. And for some people they've been doing this for, you know, 30 years and not got anywhere. And I, I can only say to, to those people, keep going and, you know, hopefully your luck will come because it's, it is it is really disheartening when you see people, you know, that appear to make it overnight with something that you don't think is very good or you're as good as. It's very, very difficult. But, you know, keep going and your time will come.
1: That's really your your main advice and, and, and do it because you love it. Because if anyone's listening, maybe who's thinking – Something I would have got in the back of my mind and I'm not sure I've got the confidence to do it. I haven't got the time, I've got my job, you know, I'm or I'm juggling other things, I can't afford it. Would you say just go for it?
0: I would say just go for it and and write something that you that really comes from your gut. Even if you think who's going to be interested in this, it's a little story, it's not very interesting, or it's only interesting to a few people. Well, Leon was a story about a small boy and about a group of people that people are not interested that's children in care people are not interested in older children in the care system they really aren't and I just wrote about something that I felt very passionate about and I it it was a massive gamble and I'd say write the thing that you're burning to write that you just think this is me all over the page
1: Brilliant advice. I can't wait to see what you've got coming next. I mean, you've given us a little taster, but the summer with the memoir in August, and then the new book is what autumn time?
0: Oh no, the new book will be twenty twenty three or four. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, a long, a long way away. Yeah, I'll yeah. It'll be, be quite a while to.
1: you you'll nur- It takes a while to nurture it. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for that. And uh, it's been such a joy to talk to you and your enthusiasm and looking at your lovely yellow sofa behind you that I really want as well. <laughs> 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 it's a perfect reading chair. But thank you for it all your, your great advice. And, and thank you so much for, uh, for telling us about what got you to do, what you love doing. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thanks to Kit for being brilliant. And if you're into books and writers, then uh, head back to the podcast for past guests, including Suzanne Heathcote, writer of Killing Eve, Oliver Holt, chief sports writer of The Mail on Sunday, authors Joe Cottrell and Claire McIntosh, and writer and economist Tim Harford. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter for info on upcoming episodes at Where Go Right. And thanks to the brilliant Megan Brownrigg for producing and Laura Shipsey for the music.